ಸಹನಾವತು ಸಹನೌಭುನಕ್ತ ಸಹ ವೀರ್ಯಂಕರವಹೈ ತೇಜಸ್ವಿನಾವಧೀತಮಸ್ತು ಮಿದ್ವಿಷಾವಹೈ ಓಂ ಶಾಂತಿ 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 ಫಸ್ಟ್ ವರ್ಸಸ್ ಅರ್ಜುನ ಉಚ ಮತಾಬುಜನಾರ್ದನ ತಿಂ ಕರ್ಮಿ ಘೋರೇ ಮಾಜಯಸಿ ಕೇಶವ ವ್ಯಾಮಿಶ್ರೇಣೇವಾಕ್ಯನ ಬುದ್ಧಿ ಮೋಹಯಸೀವ ಮೇ ತದೇಕಂ ವದ ನಿಶ್ಚಿತ್ಯೇಯೋಹಮಾಪ್ನುಯ ಇನ್ ದೀಸ್ ಟು ವರ್ಸಸ್ ಅರ್ಜುನ ಎಕ್ಸ್ಪ್ರೆಸ್ಡ್ ಹೀಸ್ ಡಿಫಿಕಲ್ಟಿ ಅರೈಸಿಂಗ್ ಫ್ರಮ್ ಎ ಕನ್ಫ್ಯೂಷನ್ ಬಿಕಾಸ್ Lord Krishna apparently told him both the things. At one point, Lord Krishna says, Tasma Jidhyasva Bharata, Here, Arjuna, may you perform your duty, fight this battle. At the same time, Lord Krishna praises a wise person who is a sannyasi, renunciate. Thus, Lord Krishna seems to be giving conflicting messages to Arjuna. The direct message is, perform your duty. but the indirect message is it is renunciate who abides in knowledge and knowledge is a means of moksha since arjuna wants moksha or liberation knowledge is the direct means of liberation and renunciation is means of that knowledge and that way arjuna gets a message that i should become renunciate because i want moksha so this two kinds of messages arjuna got and he would have liked to do both of them if he could but he cannot meaning performance of duty and enunciation of duty both of them cannot be simultaneously done like you want to have your cake cake also and want to eat it too you cannot have both of them mutually contradictory things you cannot do so therefore he says tadekam vadinishchitya o lord you please decide what is one thing that i should do yena shreya ama shreyo mayapmayat by which i can shreyas or moksha so please decide one thing which i should do by which i can get moksha <coughs> see when he says one thing so tat ekam vadinishchitya please tell me one thing so he thinks that he can do either of them a person can do either of them to get moksha he still is not clear to him what's the role of karma and what's the role of jnanam with reference to moksha liberation is not clear to him he seems to think that both karma and jnanam both of them lead to moksha and therefore a person can do either of them since the person cannot simultaneously perform action and denounce them therefore he can do only one of them so please tell me which one i should do 
his own preference is very clear. He wants to give up the action. That is his own preference. And, however, he still accepts Lord Krishna's counsel. He says, otherwise you would have said, thank you, sir. I understood now that it's up to me whether to perform action or to renounce action. Because I understand from your teaching that both of them lead to moksha. Since I want moksha, I have freedom either to perform the action or to renounce the action. So I'll renounce the action. He didn't say that. He did not make the decision. He asked Lord Krishna to make that decision. Tadekam vadanishchitya. You please decide and tell me which is the right thing for me to do. <clears throat> now what Lord Krishna wants to teach is that you require both of them. It is true that you cannot do them simultaneously. Performance of duty and denunciation of duty certainly cannot be done simultaneously by the same person at the same time. However, same person needs to do both of them. So this is karma. Karma yoga is the first stage and jnanam is the second stage. This is what Lord Krishna wants to teach. Therefore, that is so... Why did Lord Krishna say both of these to Arjuna? Lord Krishna said, He gave the teaching of Karma Yoga as well as Jnana Yoga for two different adhikaris or for two different uh, students. Meaning students having two different levels of maturity. For a person who is not mature enough, Karma Yoga. For a person who has gained maturity, Jnana Yoga. This is what Lord Krishna meant. But this is not what Arjuna got from that, from the discourse. Therefore, seeking clarification, which will be given here in this chapter now. So, let us look at the third verse. Lord Krishna says, Shri Bhagavan Vacha Shri Uraprokta mayanagha Uraprokta mayanagha Jnana yogena sankhyanam Karma yogena yoginam What we have not discussed here, which Shankaraja discusses at great length, is which we are not concerned about. But technically, Shankaraja is concerned about because these verses can also be interpreted, meaning that both karma and jnanam should be done simultaneously because that's what Lord Krishna taught. Lord Krishna in the second chapter did not specify that karma yoga is meant for this person, jnana yoga is meant for that person, and therefore, an obvious conclusion would be that Lord Krishna is saying that a person for the spiritual Perfection requires karma and jnanam simultaneously. Therefore, jnana karma samuchya. Samuchya means coexistence of both brahma jnanam and karma, or the duty, which Shankaracharya vehemently argues against that it is not possible to a person to perform the duty when he has a state of mind where he finds himself totally devoted to pursuit of knowledge. He just needs freedom from all his responsibilities. And so these two things, 
But anyway, that's not of a great interest to us. As far as you are concerned, doing both of them anyway, that being the case, so that discussion is not very relevant here. <clears throat> but now Lord Krishna wants to teach how Karma Yoga and Jnana Yoga, they are two stages. First stage is Karma Yoga, second stage is Jnana Yoga. So Lord Krishna says, Lokasmin Dvidhanishtha Pura Prokta Maya Anagha. Asmin Loke. In this world, what is this world? World consists of consisting of spiritual aspirants. By Loka, the world of the people is meant the people meaning the group of spiritual aspirants. People who want to grow, who want self-growth, people who are mamukshus, meaning those who are who have value for moksha and they have a value for self-growth. These are the people that are meant here by the word loka. <coughs> for these people. And basically Vedas look upon the life of a human being as a life of spiritual pursuit. Because in our being there are both the aspects, the spirit also is there and matter also is there, the consciousness is the self and this body-mind complex is matter. So we are actually a combination of the two things, matter and consciousness. Which is our true nature. Some people believe that consciousness is the property of matter. In India also, there are philosophers who believe that they are called the, they are called Lokadika, Charvakas, materialists. Which is the opinion of the present science, present scientists also, that consciousness is the property of matter. They said that these four elements, this the fire, the air, fire, water, earth. When they combine in a certain way, then the consciousness is created. And what is death? When those four elements disintegrate, there is no more consciousness. That's called death. So as far as they are concerned, this body possessing consciousness is a self. <coughs> in that case, matter becomes important. And the consciousness spirit becomes less important. But what do we say? As Swami Vivekananda said in a very famous statement, that I am not the body possessing consciousness, I am consciousness possessing body. <clears throat> Meaning that the human being is primarily a conscious being, a spiritual being. Spirit or consciousness is my nature. Therefore, my life should really become a life of spiritual growth. This is how Vedas and all the scriptures look upon the life of human being. And therefore, Vedas prescribe the mode of life which is appropriate for a human being so that human being can ultimately achieve the goal that is in mind. People often ask this question, Swamiji, is there a purpose of life? Am I born here with a certain purpose? Answer is yes, very much. But I don't understand what the purpose is. If you look at our own mind, you look at our own desires. One thing everybody knows that there are desires in my mind, one after the other. I fulfill one desire, another desire arises in its place. This we know. Except we think that every desire is different from every other desire. We do not see connection between the desires. So there is a common basis for all the desires or not. The common basis is that we want to be happy. So, 
What you are seeking is a pleased self. The desire behind all the desires is for a pleased self, for happiness. And how much happiness do we want? Unconditional happiness we want. We want happiness without limits. Limitless happiness is what each one of us wants. And this is the desire that we are born with. It is not that someday I decided I want to be happy. That until then I was happy being unhappy. That never is. Not that someday I decided. I am born with this desire. It's called natural desire. Our Swamiji says that desires are two kinds. Natural desires and cultivated desires. So for example, I experience hunger. And therefore, the desire to appease hunger is a natural desire. But then, desire to appease hunger with pizza, for example, or some special food, that is a cultivated desire. I'm born with thirst, so desire to quench the thirst is a natural desire. But I must coke to quench my thirst, that's a cultivated desire. The reason why we are mentioning this is that, there is always a provision for satisfying the natural desire. There may or may not be provision for satisfying cultivated desires, but there is in the scheme of things provision for satisfying the natural desire. So this desire for happiness, and limitless happiness that too, is a natural desire. I am born with that. It's not that I willed to have that desire. And therefore, there must be a provision for that. This we are born with an agenda. Ajanta to become happy, limitlessly happy. Become limitless. This is our agenda. Whether we understand it or not, but this is what every human being wants. That's a desire behind all the desires. And if happiness was out there, well, that is fine. Then you could achieve it by performing different kind of actions. But happiness is nature of our own self. And therefore, happiness is not something to be achieved Happiness is something to be made manifest. <coughs> happiness, some, what can be achieved? What is other than me is something to be achieved. But I myself is not to be achieved. I myself is to be made manifest. So thus our life should become a process of bringing to manifestation happiness which is our own nature. There is something that is inhibiting the manifestation of happiness. Our impurities, our likes and dislikes. So that inhibiting the happiness which is my nature, therefore life should become a process of getting rid of these likes and dislikes. That we do call self-growth or spiritual growth or emotional maturity. That's what the Vedas teach. And that's why they teach us dharma, a life of righteousness, life of duty, life of values. And then they teach us a life of pursuit of knowledge. So that's what Lord Krishna says there. Asmin loke, in this world consisting of human beings, where every human being is a mamoksha, meaning every human being is a seeker of moksha or liberation. Except that some people have an insight into how to fulfill that desire for liberation, and most people do not have that insight. Because the usual conclusion is that happiness is out there. So everybody is seeking happiness from things other than oneself. Chasing objects, what are thought to be objects of happiness, a source of happiness. So to help them also, 
Vedas in fact teaches, as we said, the life of dharma or life of duty. Doesn't matter. You, you acquire happiness from wherever you think it is. Except follow dharma, follow righteousness. Do not compromise means for the sake of end. This much you do. <clears throat> That's the very first step. First step is life of dharma or life of righteousness, life of values, life of duty. Then comes the other step, life of karma yoga and then life of jnana yoga. So, however, the first two are lumped into one, lokesmin dvidhanishtha puraprokta mayanagha. For the human beings here, Arjuna, I have prescribed this twofold commitment. For those who understand a little bit of Sanskrit, you will note that the word nishtha is in singular. So, dvividhanishtha. Nishtha is in ekvacharam, singular. <coughs> so, Lord Krishna says that this nishtha or commitment I have to- taught or I revealed. Pura means in the beginning of creation. In the beginning of creation here, Arjuna, when I revealed the Vedas. So, we look upon the Vedas as revealed texts. Always this question. Who wrote the Vedas and when they were written and what is what, you know? Answer is very simple. Traditionally, we accept, we take the Vedas as revealed scriptures. Not written or composed scriptures, but revealed scriptures. Revealed to the Rushis or the sages. Therefore, Rushaya Mantra Drashtara Rushi or a sage is the one who is Mantra Drashta, meaning who is a seer of mantras or Vedas and not a writer of the mantra. <coughs> and so, this knowledge which is what we call Veda, Veda means a body of knowledge. Ved means to know. So, Veda means body of knowledge. And it was revealed to the sages. It is true. It may be revealed to different sages at different times. In that sense, you can say that this particular section evolved at a given point in time. But then we say that Knowledge is always eternal, it is never created. When Isaac Newton realized or he saw, discovered the law of gravity, it is not that apples were not falling before that, they were still falling only. Meaning that the force of gravity was always there, whether we knew it or not. At some point in time it was discovered. So you can say Newton is like a sage, to him this knowledge was revealed. Who can become a sage? A sage is a person who performs penance, tapascharya. So, all these great scientists can be called sages because they have dedicated themselves totally to the pursuit of knowledge. At the exclusion of everything, they are like sannyasis. At the exclusion, that's why their life is contemplative life. All the time deliberating, thinking. So, this is called tapascharya or penance as a result of which this knowledge is revealed to you, it occurs to you, revealed to you. <coughs> that is why Lord Krishna says, Maya, by me, <coughs> the Vedas were revealed by me. <coughs> so that is interesting. And by me also means here, Arjuna, by me, who is your friend? 
who is a well-wisher by me, meaning that all of this is being told to you by a well-wisher, one who loves you. <coughs> Dvidhanishtha pura, pura means earlier, in the beginning. This word pura can be understood two ways. In the beginning of creation, or pura means before, before means the second chapter. In the earlier chapter also, this is what I have taught. So what is taught in the Vedas is taught in the second chapter of the Gita. These twofold commitments. Anagha. So pura prokta, pra ukta, prakarshena ukta, very well stated, very clearly stated. Meaning that there is no ambiguity in the Vedas and even in the earlier chapter also when I said this, there is no ambiguity. It is a two-fold commitment. <coughs> so Arjuna may be wondering, how can I, you know, is it possible for me to do this? Arjuna, you do not worry. Everybody is qualified for moksha. Everybody, every human being is definitely qualified for moksha. Not necessarily qualified for sannyasa, but necessarily qualified for moksha. And we must actually uh, perform this journey from where we are. <coughs> so Arjuna, there is no reason why you should be grieving or unhappy or feel dis- you know, uh, uh, disappointed or anything like that. That everybody is fit, everybody is adhikari. Anagha, this, the word, last word is anagha. In the first line, anagha is the address to Arjuna, sambodhanam. Agha means papa or sin. Anagha means one who is sinless. Hey Arjuna, he sinless one. So this is how Lord Krishna in fact praises Arjuna. Compliments Arjuna in many places by addressing him by this kind of very encouraging names. He anagha, o nishpapa, o sinless one. So Arjuna is a sinless person. There is no crookedness in him as we said yesterday. He is a very straightforward person. Rujutva Arjuna, one who is a very straightforward person. No crookedness inside, no pretension, not something inside and something else outside. So this kind of a thing is not there. And this is, the transparency is possible only when your heart is pure, otherwise that is not possible. So, hey, oh sinless one, meaning that you are fit for this Upadesha, for this teaching. <coughs> so this twofold nishtha, nitaram sthitehi nishtha, means steadfastness, or a committed lifestyle or steadfastness. This twofold steadfastness or twofold commitment has been taught by me in the Vedas from the beginning of the creation. What is that twofold commitment? Jnana yogena sankhyanam, karma yogena yoginam. The second line says, <coughs> sankhyanam for the sankhya. So, this word sankhya also is confusing because there is a school of thought which is called sankhya. The word Sankhya comes from the word Sankhya. Sankhya, one meaning is number. See, those Sankhyas, the philosophers, were counting the number of elements and things like that, they are called Sankhyas. However, here Lord Krishna does not use the word Sankhya in the sense of the followers of that school of thought. 
But the word Sankhya is used in the sense of renunciates or people of knowledge. So, what is Sankhya? Sankhya means, of course, a number, as we understand. But then, Sankhya is what? Sam plus Khya is Sankhya. <coughs> khya is what? Here it means knowledge. So, Samyak Khya means Samyak Buddhi. Samyak Jnanam is Sankhya. Meaning that the true knowledge, the knowledge of the self as it is, is called Sankhya. <coughs> and the people who attain that Sankhya or that knowledge are called Sankhya. So, Sankhya is a person who has attained Sankhya. What is Sankhya? Self-knowledge. So, those who attain the self-knowledge are called Sankhya. <coughs> or, even the people who are committed to self-knowledge also can be called Sankhya. Vedanta Vijnana Sunishchitarthaha See, in the evening prayer, we recite this. Vedanta Vijnana Sunishchitarthaha Sunishchitartha. Those people in whom this, this conviction has come about what Vedanta teaches. Vedanta teaches that you are Brahman, that you are limitless, and that you have to know that. It's not enough that you are Brahman, you should know that you are Brahman, you should gain the knowledge of the true nature of yourself. So the Vedanta Vijnana, this is called Vedanta Vijnana. Vijnana means a special knowledge that Vedanta Upanishads reveal, and that is the knowledge of the self. So, Vedanta Vijnana Sunishchi, those people who are convinced that yes, limitless is my nature. Brahman is my nature, is very clear to me. Even intellectually, understand. Meaning that even though. Uh, I mean, I understand it very well. Still, some work needs to be done so that the understanding is assimilated. Okay. But when this clarity that comes, that person also is now, and therefore, one who is, for whom the knowledge becomes the most valuable thing. Our values depend upon our understanding. What our understanding is, that that is most valuable to us. For most people, of course, the worldly achievements are most valuable because that's what they think are the means of success. But here is a rare person in whose mind the understanding has come that really I am the most valuable one and therefore the knowledge of the self is the most valuable. So those people also are qualified for renunciation. So Sankhyanam, for those who are contemplative ones, for those who are renunciators, so call it contemplative ones. Meaning that even though you may not be a renunciate in a formal sense, you can still be a Sankhya if you are a contemplative person. If you have love for knowledge, if you love for listening to scriptures, as you say, love for reflecting upon them, love for meditating upon them, love for assimilating the knowledge. So if you have that, you are a contemplative one, you are a Sankhya. So for the Sankhya, Jnana Yoga in a Sankhya Nam, Jnana Yoga. What is this Jnana Yoga? Jnana Meva, Yoga, Jnana Yoga. What is Yoga? Yoga is the one that joins. So Yoga means the means for joining Atma with Paramatma. You know, this is what the yogis understand. So that which joins me with Brahman or Paramatma is called Yoga. 
So jnana is jnana yoga means jnana itself is yoga. The self-knowledge itself is yoga meaning the self-knowledge reveals the fact that I am Brahman. So by that knowledge I am as though joined with Brahman, united with Brahman. So yoga means a means for uniting with Ishvara. But here the knowledge that Ishvara is my own self is the best way, right way of uniting with Ishvara. Therefore this jnanam the self-knowledge also is called yoga. Jnana yogena sankhyanam. Here, you know, for those who are contemplative ones, for them, jnana yoga, the life of pursuit of knowledge. <coughs> and when would you have that contemplative mind? As we said, when the mind becomes pure. Antahakan shuddhi or purification of mind is there. What is meant by purification of mind? When the mind is essentially free from the impulses of raga and dvesha, attachment and aversion. <coughs> Karma yoga and yoginam. So for the shuddhantahkaranam, for the people with shuddhantahkaranam, with purity of mind, a life of contemplation, life of pursuit of knowledge, and the exclusion of all the responsibilities and duties. <coughs> so our scriptures give a sanction to this. That when you, when you find that now you have love for knowledge, that you, uh, you have a commitment for knowledge, the scripture says, okay, you are now free to give up all your responsibilities and duties. <coughs> Which means any one of you can do that, by the way. Give up duties, because Swamiji, wait a minute, don't, you know, misguide us. But you know, what I am saying is, if such a thing has happened, that you find that no, nothing else interests you. Not that you hate anything, you love everything. But you realize that I don't need this. Not See, Vairagya does not mean that you dislike anything or hate anything. Vairagya means that you love everything. At the same time, just because you love doesn't mean that you want everything. You are very clear that what you want is knowledge. <coughs> if this is so, then you, at least Vedas sanction a way of life which is devoted to the pursuit of knowledge. <coughs> Whereas for others, other spiritual aspirants, other mumukshus, ashuddhan, tahkarnanam, those people who are desirous of moksha, all right, but still they do not have the purity of the mind. Karma yoga, yoginam, for the yogis, your karma yoga, where karma itself is yoga. Where karma becomes a means of uniting with Ishwara through knowledge. Therefore, karma yoga means, so karma yoga, yoga of karma. <coughs> karma yoga and yoginam for the yogis. How to translate the word yogi? Yogi means for the people who are not, who, who haven't gained the purity of mind. That's the meaning here. So those who have purity of mind, for them, the contemplative life. For those who need to gain their purity of mind, the life of activity, life of karma yoga. <coughs> so, dvidha nishtha. It is one nishtha. Meaning, it is one path. Not that there are two separate paths. It is Arjuna thought. Arjuna thought that this karma and jnana are two independent ways and that's what many people think. Our Swami has been talking about it for, I don't know how many years, from the day one. That the popular view is that Gita teaches four paths. Because Swami Vivekananda, etc. made this, you know, very popular. And many other great people also thought this way. That karma is one path, 
Jnana is another path, Bhakti is the third path. These three paths are talked about here. And Raja Yoga means that Patanjali Yoga is the fourth path, independent paths. But that is not our view. That is not the view of Shankaracharya also. There is only one path, not four paths. One path in which each one of these has a place. Bhakti or devotion is not a separate path. Bhakti is involved at every stage. So Karma Yogi also is a devotee. A Jnana Yogi also is a devotee. So devotion is not a separate thing. It is part and parcel. So because when you are devoted to what you want to achieve, that's when you can achieve something. So Bhakti is not a separate path. Bhakti is something that is involved at every stage. Karma is not a separate path. Is sadhanam the means for jnanam? And jnanam is sadhya, verse we achieve by karma. So, first stage is karma yoga, jnana yoga, in both of them, bhakti is there. How about patanjali yoga? That also is there. See, you, you listen to Swamiji when the Swamiji was explaining the Shanti mantra, you know. Tadatmani nirate, ya upanishatsu dharmaha, te maisantu, te maisantu, the dharmas, the values, which are Profounded by the Upanishads, may they be in me. What are these? He quoted, I think, that mantra. Shanto, Dantaha, Uparataha, Titikshu, Shaddhavitto, Bhutva. Well, Shanta, tranquility of the mind. Damaha, the self-control. Uparama, the abiding mind. Titiksha, forbearance. Shraddha, single-pointedness of mind. So these are the, the, the dharma that Upanishads teach. <coughs> and so, that's all Patanjali Yoga. Dhamma, self-control, quietening the mind, all of that also is involved all along. It's part of Karma Yoga. So what Patanjali Yoga is, is included in Karma Yoga. Bhakti is present in Karma Yoga and Jnana Yoga. Karma Yoga is the first stage, Jnana Yoga is the second stage. So understand the whole scheme, where all the four have a place. So Vedanta is a very inclusive, Vedanta is all inclusive uh, view of the scriptures. And therefore there is a place for everything. Whether Vaisheshikas, Nayayikas, Sankhya, Yoga, Puramimamsa, all of these are all accommodated, meaning Vedanta sees the role of all of them. Vedanta does not dismiss anything, it does not oppose anything. On the other hand, it includes everything. It's the most inclusive, most broad-minded. At the same time, a, a vision, which is, as I said, all-inclusive vision. <clears throat> and that being the case, we have the benefit of the discoveries or developments made by all those philosophers. That's the uh, greatness, or that's the fortune that we have. A question was asked, how come the... Muslims or Christians who will convert whole country one after the other. How come? Of course, India also there was a lot of conversion, but still, how come India still remained largely Hindu? Is because one of the reasons is that there is no institution. Everybody is an institution. Here, if there is an institution, there is a head there. If you convince him, then everybody that follows gets you know they are all converted. But here there is no hierarchy at all. Everybody, you have to convert everybody individually. Literally. 
and the brahmins refused to uh, submit they went through they accepted all kinds of tortures but did not submit and that's how the dharma has been protected but then so that is the that's the advantage of this the freedom that this the every spiritual aspirant has <coughs> so that is why i said freedom of thought that was a characteristic of the vedic culture and that's why we have very richness a great richness of the thought in in india <coughs> but as i said this karma bhakti yoga and gnanam so karma the first stage gnanam the second stage karma is meant for antahagan shuddhi purification of mind and gnanam is meant for then gaining the self knowledge in that bhakti is included at all the stages and what we call the yoga patanjali yoga is a part of karma yoga itself <clears throat> and therefore arjuna when i told you when i gave this two fold instruction in the previous chapter what i meant is that for the people who haven't yet gained the purity of mind karma yoga and those who gained the purity of mind gnana yoga this is what i meant <clears throat> now in the next 13 verses lord krishna says how as long as you haven't gained the purity of mind you should not give up action should not give up duty or activity until so retirement is not by age so i am ready to retire that's you know you may be ready to retire but whether you are really ready or not who is the person who is ready to retire the person who has gained purity of mind purification of mind when a person whose mind is essentially free from likes and dislikes <clears throat> until then karma should not be given up and lord krishna thinks the rajuna still requires to perform karma to gain the purification of mind and that's the reason why arjuna was asked to perform the duty so when lord krishna said to arjuna tasmad yudhyasva bharata he bharat you perform your duty is because lord krishna believes that arjuna needs antahagan shuddhi or purification of mind so next 13 verses lord krishna highlights the importance of karma importance of performing the duty <coughs> and importance of performing duty in the spirit of yoga so let us read the fourth verse नैष्कर्मणारंभात् by staying away from karma by abstaining from karma by abstaining from your duty karma we should understand as duty <clears throat> karma is not just any action but basically duty as we said the vedic society is based, was based on duty the everybody had duties to perform so which caste you belong to which stage of life you belong to accordingly duty means your contribution 
Thus Vedas looked upon the life of every human being as a life of participation or life of contribution. So your contribution is called your duty. And everybody is obliged to contribute or participate. <coughs> as Swami says, that's the reason why this karmendriya, the organ of actions are given to us. The speech is given to us. The hands and legs are given to us for us to participate. If Ishvara wanted that we should only experience things and enjoy things, then only organs of perception would have been enough. The fact that organs of action are given means we should participate. <coughs> Na karmanam anarambha. Arambha means to commence. Anarambha not to commence. Meaning not to perform, to abstain. Karmanam anarambha by abstaining from karma. By abstaining from the duty. Meaning that duty is in front of you and you abstain from that. You drop out from that. You turn away from that. With a wrong thinking. <coughs> Naishkarmyam. Here Lord Krishna used the word Naishkarmyam. So Naishkarmyam Purushosnude Naishkarmyam is a word derived from Nishkarma. So nishkarmanaha bhavaha naishkarmanaha. The state of nishkarma is called naishkarmya. And this word is used in Bhagavad Gita in 18th chapter again, naishkarmya. Because karma is the contention here. The whole Bhagavad Gita teaching began because of the misunderstanding about the role of karma in one's life. Arjuna did not have a right understanding of what's the role of karma or the duty in one's life. He thought that the karma or the duty, like fighting this battle, is only meant for victory and gaining kingdom and gaining power and happiness, pleasures. That is how he looked at the role of karma. He did not realize another dimension of karma. That karma also can become a means of a spiritual growth. Karma is not merely a means of achieving the worldly things, which of course it can. But here Lord Krishna will teach that you perform a given action. With, a full, with the purpose of fulfilling desire, then that action becomes a means of attaining some worldly end, like wealth, name, fame, power, etc. But the same action we perform without expectation or without a desire, same action we perform is an offering, then that action becomes a means of purification of mind. <clears throat> this dimension of the karma, Darjuna did not understand. No. And to reveal this dimension especially is the purpose of Bhagavad Gita. So one of the important purposes of teaching of Bhagavad Gita is to make us understand that karma means our day-to-day activities or duties are very important. That these day-to-day activities, as Lord Krishna says in the ninth chapter, whatever you eat, whatever you do, including walking, talking, any, any action that you perform, any deliberate action that you perform can be, perf- can be performed in such a manner that it becomes an offering to Ishvara. In that case, that action becomes yoga or karma yoga. So karma yoga is not any particular action, but it is the attitude which an action is performed when there is an attitude of worship or attitude of offering to Ishvara. <clears throat> so this is the dimension that Bhagavad Gita wants to teach. It is there in Vedas, all right, but it is not very clear. 
Because Vedas seem to emphasize all kinds of desire prompted actions. That if you want to go to Swarga, then perform this. If you want cattle, then do this. If you want progeny, then do this. If you want wealth, then do this. If you want rain, then do this. So it looks like all these actions in the Vedas are prescribed to fulfill desires. So that's what Shankaracharya says. That if those actions are performed as prescribed by Vedas, you go to Swarga or whatever you want. But the same actions if they perform without the desire, as your offering, your contribution, then that action becomes a means of self-growth, spiritual growth. So action can become a means of material growth, material prosperity, or it can become a means of spiritual prosperity. <clears throat> so not understanding this, therefore you say, I don't want to do this. As Arjuna says, I am not interested in performing this duty. Why are you not interested? What am I going to get from this, O oh Lord? If I fight this battle and win this battle, then I'll get kingdom, all right. I'll get all kinds of pleasures. I'll get power, name and fame. I'm not interested. So suppose you're not interested in what the karma is to offer to you. That's how we give up, you know, a lot of things. We give up, we uh, give up sometimes job also. I'm not interested, Swamiji. I'm not interested in money. I'm not interested in position. I'm not interested in that. Thus, usually karma or action is looked upon as a means of worldly achievements. And if it happens in, in life sometimes, that we get so disillusioned by the things, that we just lose interest in everything, I am not interested, Swamiji. I don't want this money. I am not interested in power. I don't want any prestige. I don't want a name and fame. That's what Arjuna said to Lord Krishna. Na kaangshe vijayam Krishna, na charajyam sukhani cha. Hey Krishna, I do not want victory. I do not want kingdom. I do not want pleasures. That's called smashana vairagya also. You know, when you go to cremation ground, in cremation ground is vairagya. Everybody becomes very dispassionate at that moment. Vairagya is. When you see this corpse being cremated, you can see, oh, you can then realize the, the uh, futility. I mean, the life is just, you know, it can come to an end any time. Oh, this can happen to me also. This is the ultimate end in the life. Then looking at this, somehow you develop it, you know, it is passion. Says, no, no, I, you know, it's not right that you, enjoy, you, you spend your life in just simply seeking material pleasures, etc. No, we should do something. Called smashana vairagya. When you are smashana or cremation ground, looking at this, the corpse in front of you and being cremated, these thoughts occur. As soon as the fellows walk out of the cremation ground, the first thing they ask is, well, you know, I'm thirsty, where can I get coke? I'm hungry, where can I get pizza, etc., you know. doesn't last too long. Well, Arjuna's Vairagya, we, we expect it perhaps uh, deeper than that. But when Arjuna says, I'm not interested in kingdom, it is quite possible that because he's so sad, he's grieving, he's very unhappy. So when you become unhappy, when you become sad, when you are depressed, nothing interests you also. Let's go to a movie. I'm not interested. Oh, this is ice cream. You love that. I don't want. 
So sometimes when we become sad, we lose interest in everything. But that loss of interest is not because of maturity of understanding the limitations. It is because of incapacity to enjoy those things. So Arjuna thinks that, what is the purpose of fighting this battle? I get victory. I'm not interested. You get kingdom. I'm not interested. You get pleasures. I'm not interested. If I'm not interested in what this action has to give me, then why should I perform the action? It's natural. Nayot say, therefore, O Lord, I will not fight this battle because I'm not interested in what this battle will give me. Then we want to abstain from the action. So Lord Krishna says, Na karmanam anarambhat naiskarmyam purushah asnude. By abstaining from action, abstaining from duty, do not think that you will get naiskarmya. What is naiskarmya? The state of freedom from karma. So ultimately this is one way of describing moksha. There are many ways of describing what is moksha or liberation of freedom. So one way of describing moksha is freedom from action. <coughs> Nishkarma bhavaha naishkarmyam. You become free from action. What is meant by freedom from action? One interpretation is that you do not perform any action. That's how you are free from action. That's what many people think. Not performing action is freedom from action. Lord Krishna says, no, that's not freedom from action. Our Swami used to talk about this, uh, this topic, you know. Not freedom from action, but freedom in action. Not freedom from action, but freedom in action. As Lord Krishna will say subsequently, it is not possible for anybody to become free from action. You cannot give up action by will. In fact, you cannot renounce anything by will. Renunciation has to happen. Things have to drop off. You have to grow out of something. You cannot renounce, I am renouncing all my wealth. Renunciation is not an action. Renunciation is growing out of it. Meaning that if you have reached a stage of mind, when you now do not see the need of that, when you find that you are fulfilled without the need of this money, etc., then you can say that you have become, you have grown out of that. So also, when you become free from the need for karma, karma is something to contribute in our life. And when you become free from that need, then of course you can give up the karma. Until then, nice karma, freedom from action cannot be gained. So moksha is, one of the meanings of moksha is, Freedom from action. You must have heard, listen in the meditation in the morning that I am not listening. Listening takes place. Remember that? I am not listening. These words, in fact, words are being spoken. And you are listening. And what are the words? I am not listening. Listening takes place. You know what it means? That, that can be understood provided my perception of myself changes. As I perceive myself right now, as an individual being, certainly I am a listener. But then if my perception changes, that I am not an individual being, I am not this body-mind complex, I am the witness of the body-mind complex, 
I'm the very consciousness that illumines this body-mind complex. If that is my perception of myself, then this is true. That I, as a self, as a very consciousness, I do not perform any action. Action takes place in my presence. This is a theme that Lord Krishna keeps on stating again and again and again. So one of the important teachings of Bhagavad Gita is, of course, giving the self-knowledge, but in as much as the whole background of Bhagavad Gita is with reference to karma or the duty. Therefore we find this point emphasized again and again, the nature of service, actionlessness is the nature of the self. Action takes place in my presence. The fifth chapter says that. Describing a wise person, he says, the wise person knows I do not do anything. Pashyan, Shrunvans, Prasanjigran, while seeing, hearing, touching, tasting, eating, talking, walking, doing all of this, he seems to be doing everything that we do. And see, what does he say? I do not do anything. Well, you are saying this. You are performing the act of saying, I do not, he says, I do not do anything. But you are saying it, aren't you saying it? No, I am not saying it. Then who says it? You are looking at me, are you not, I am not looking at you. I am not saying this. I am not walking. I am not eating. Who does it? Indriyani, Indriyarthi, Shuvartante, Itidharyan. It is my sense organs that are interacting with the sense objects in my presence. On the very presence, the conscious presence that I am. And in my presence, just as in presence of a magnet, how the iron filings get energized without any attempt on the part of the magnet, so also without any attempt on the part of the self, the sense organs, the mind, all of them become enlivened and they perform their activities. That is why this Kyanopanishad, Kenesitam Patati Preshitam Manaha, in presence of which, First, impelled by what? Or in presence of which does the mind perform its activities and the eyes see, the ears hear, all these sense organs of perception, action, mind, all of them perform their activities. In whose presence? That presence is the nature. That is what our nature is. The true nature of the self is the consciousness of the presence. <coughs> and therefore abiding in that is called nishkarmya. Abiding in the knowledge that I am actionless self is called Naishkarma. That's real freedom from action. Not non-performance of action. Here you know, don't think that by not performing action, by abstaining from action, then you become free from action. You cannot. Alright. Suppose I formally take sannyasa. Because as I said, in the Vedas, in the Upanishads in particular, there are statements which says that people who now want knowledge, they become renunciates. So, oh Lord, I want knowledge. I'll become renunciate. In which can I not perform the action. So by becoming renunciate, will I not become actionless? Will I not gain moksha? So in second line, Lord Krishna said, Nacha sanyasana deva siddhim samadhi Not by mere renunciation. Not merely giving up action. Because that you can will. By merely giving up action, you cannot become actionless. 
You cannot become free from action. <coughs> the next verse will explain what is meant by not being free from action. As Lord Krishna says, nobody has a freedom not to do something. Because there is something inside that compels, impels you to do things. Therefore, you are not free. So, merely by renunciation, without the knowledge, if you just renounce, that does not mean that you become free from action. So, Arjuna's main desire is to become free from action. Lord cannot not become free from action by giving up your action, by abstaining from not doing it. No, non-performance action is not the freedom from action. All right, I'll formally renounce. Renounce, then I won't have to perform action. Even by becoming a renunciate also, if that renunciation is without maturity, that also does not lead to moksha or actionlessness. So from this verse onwards, as I said, Lord Krishna describes in so many verses the importance of performance of action. We will continue in the next class. Om Purnamadaf Purnamidam Purnat Purnamudachyade Purnasya Purnamadaya Purnameva Vashishyade Om Shanti 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 Shankaram Shankaracharyam Keshavam Badarayanam Sutra Bhashya Krutavande Bhagavanta Punaf Punaha Ishvaro Guru Atmedi Murti Bheda Vibhagine Vyoma Vadvyapta Dehaya Dakshina Murtaye Namaha Om Shantishantishantihi Hari Om Shri Guru Bhyo Namaha Hari Om